Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Battery backup with solar has been around ever since there were solar panels and people were trying to figure out how to kind of turn the lights on at night. It's the only way to get power when the sun's down, and that's to, to take that kilowatt hours, those electrons, and store them in a battery. Until about the year 2000, all solar installations all around the world pretty much had batteries. Then they started coming up with more common systems called grid-tied systems, where basically you use the electric grid at night, and during the day, your solar was providing excess energy into the grid, and your electric meter was running backwards during the day. And that's something called net metering. Essentially, you're using the electric grid as your storage battery, and it's 100% efficient. You're just sending that energy back to the grid, the meter keeps track of it, and at night, you draw power back. Back. So batteries weren't needed. Uh, very, very elegant. But recently, there's been a lot of new announcements about battery backup systems and grid-tied backup systems with new kinds of lithium-ion batteries. And, and just about every single big solar company or inverter company has plans to offer battery backup systems. Yeah, these have been around for a long, long time. The systems are generally new, and they're leveraging developments in lithium-ion batteries. Most of them are still in the testing phase, and lots and lots of the announcements are what we in the software industry used to call vaporware, where they're working on products that are going to come out sometime later this year. It always seems to be later this year. Very few of these products are shipping. Very few of the brand-new products. The existing products are, are pretty much all out there. And one of the reasons why it takes so long is that there's a lot of testing. There's a lot of software. There's UL certification and safety requirements that all need to be established. And those things take time, even once the hardware's done. But I expect the battery business, the battery storage business, to be very, very much like the solar industry was 10 years ago. It's just getting started now, and there's going to be lots of excitement. But as I mentioned, lots and lots of companies have new product announcements, and it's very, very exciting. Now, at Cinnamon Solar, we've been doing battery backup systems way back since 2001. Some customers just want battery backup. Um, they, they don't want generators. They want an instant changeover from power. And it was something that we used to do, and, and we installed a lot of systems in 2001, 2002, 2003. And then when we realized how complicated they were and how much maintenance was involved for these old lead-acid battery systems and really how simple and cost-effective and elegant net metered systems were, we basically stopped doing battery systems. But we've recently gotten back into it just because the technology has improved so much, especially the longevity of the systems has improved so much, and the amount of maintenance required has gone way down. So they're now they're starting to to get a lot more cost effective. So today's topic is about these battery backup systems that are really just coming out onto the market. There's lots and lots of confusion and hopefully I'm going to be able to resolve some of that confusion today and, and talk about really what I see as the four basic applications for home users and also for commercial users, but we're going to focus today on home users, the four applications for solar with battery storage. And these four applications are, as, as I mentioned, first off, backup power, the second application is off-grid, where basically you have no um, electric grid. It's too expensive to run the wires to your cabin in the woods. The third is something that I call energy arbitrage, where you basically can buy power when it's cheap and sell it back when it's, in it, when it's expensive. And the fourth application is what we call grid support services. You're actually providing additional services to the electric grid to make it work more uh, safely and efficiently and reliably. So let's just kind of go down these applications uh, one by one. So starting with backup power. Backup power is great when there's a power failure. The power goes down, the power lines go down, there's a bad storm, a, a squirrel chews through a wire and a transformer and causes a cascade of power outages. I mean, these things happen. 
hurricane or a, a bad snowstorm on the East Coast happened twice over the past five years. And it's really handy to have this backup power. Not only is it handy, in some cases, you know, if the weather's really bad and it's cold, it's, it's, it can be life-saving. You can really get on with your life. And this is an important application where you may just want to keep the heat on. And even if you have gas heat, you're going to need electricity to run the circulating pump for the hot water, or you're going to need electricity to run the fan and the thermostat. So you still need that electricity. And you may want to keep the fridge cool, keep some lights on in the house. And obviously, without TV, civilization is almost over, so a lot of people want to want to have that TV. But now the challenge with backup power is the amount of power you can get from a from whatever these systems are, whether they're batteries or generators, is limited. So what's always important to install is something called a critical load subpanel. And this is something that the electrician does. Uh, every single small and medium-sized backup system, whether it's batteries or generators, usually has a critical load subpanel. And the reason is that the amount of electricity power that, that you need to run the whole house is more than a generator, an ordinary generator, and much more than a battery system can handle. It just They just require too many watts. Just to give you an example, like a typical standard generator that you can buy and throw in the trunk of your car may have a capacity or a power output of 5,000 watts. And if you're running your heater, your your microwave, your fridge, some lighting, turn on the electric stove, fire up another appliance, boom, you're going to be over 5,000 watts, and, and that's going to max out the generator. It's certainly going to max out the, the battery backup inverter system. And the other thing is that they have a limited amount of time that they can run. So the generators run basically for as long as you have gas. The battery backup systems run for as long as there's there's energy in those batteries. And it's, it's limited. And the, the faster you draw the power out, the shorter a duration you're going to have time. That's why... All of these backup systems, whether battery or generator, you have a critical load subpanel. Now, you can imagine your circuit breaker panel in your house. You look at it, there may be 20 circuit breakers or 40 circuit breakers, depending on the size of your house. What you're going to do for a critical load subpanel is you're going to pick the six circuits that you really, really need if there's a power outage. What can you not do without? That's generally maybe the refrigerator, some basic lighting, the TV and the heating system. And that's about it. You really can't run the whole house at once. You can't plug in your dryer. You can't plug in your electric stove. It's just going to suck all the power out too quickly. So this critical load subpanel is a, a little electric panel. It might be like 12 by 24 inches or so. The electrician puts it in, and it only powers what you really need. It might cost about $1,000. So any kind of backup system, backup power system, is going to need one of these critical load subpanels. So now we talked about the electric infrastructure you need in your house. What how are you going to get the power? Well, generators work really, really well for that. Um, and, and that generator is basically going to sit in a garage or outside. It can be powered usually by natural gas or, or gasoline. The, the gasoline generators are what you typically buy at the big box retailers. You may have usually a manual start capability where you'll pull a cord or push a button and it'll fire up. And then there's usually a transfer switch so you can switch the power in your house from uh, the, the utility power over to the critical load sub panel power, which is powered by the generator or the battery backup system. And these generators are pretty darn good. They might need a, a little bit of maintenance every few years, change the oil if you run it a lot, which isn't that often, make sure the gas is always clean in there, but they're pretty much trouble-free. And they'll run for as long as you have gas, and they're dirt cheap. They're like $500 to $1,000. So that's one application, which is backup power. And as I mentioned, you can use generators or you can use a battery backup system. The second application is off-grid power. And this is really the traditional application for solar power, just going back like 20 or 30 years. It's similar to battery backup, except you're going to have more batteries because you really have no other 
other option. And you want to run all of the loads in your, in your house or your cabin. And these systems, these off-grid systems, pretty much always have solar panels to charge up a bank of batteries. These are usually big lead-acid batteries. And there's also usually a capability to connect into a generator so that if there's an extended period of no sun or really bad weather or if you need extra power, you could fire up this generator. And they work pretty efficiently. Now, there's some maintenance involved, but very, very good solution. They're not great for houses that are really power hungry. In other words, there's still a limited amount of power you can get from these systems. So if you have a swimming pool, if you have a lot of refrigerators, if you have electric heat, forget about kind of completely severing the ties to the grid because once in a while you're going to have power requirements that are much more than a typical generator or a solar with the battery backup power are going to be able to handle. But people who have little houses in the woods might be five miles away from the nearest utility line and it might cost $200,000 to run the wires over there. These, these off-grid systems are, are a great, great solution. The third option is what I call energy arbitrage. Now, basically, this is a situation where you buy power from the utility when it's cheap or you generate it somehow when it's cheap and you sell the power back when it's expensive, right? You buy low, sell high. And, and this is how it could theoretically work. Right here in California, we have something called time of use rates and there's a current electric rate from PG&E called the E6 rate. And that rate at the peak, so in the middle of the middle of the day in the afternoon, the utility charges 48 cents per kilowatt hour for electricity. And at night, it's only 11 cents a kilowatt hour. So you've got this spread between about 37 cents. And let's put aside solar for now, although this rate's only available for solar. There's, a, there's also an electric vehicle rate. It's pretty simple. But let's just think about if you had a battery backup system that was... Uh, 100% efficient, just for sake of argument. You could charge your batteries at night at 11 cents, and then you can run those batteries backwards and sell power back to the utility at 48 cents a kilowatt hour. And you make money with that. So it sounds like a good idea, and lots of people have said, hey, I'm going to try this until they kind of hit two really big problems in terms of reality. The first is that the utilities don't allow it. The, the reality is it's sometimes difficult for the utilities to really tell what's going on because they don't know what's happening behind your meter, but it's against their rules. The second reality is that you're going to wear out your batteries too fast. You have to cycle the batteries every day. You are buying a lot of power at 11 cents. You're filling up the batteries. You're turning them back, sending it back um, um, in the afternoon when power is expensive. You'll wear those batteries out. Batteries are expensive. And what ends up happening is just the economics do not pencil out for this kind of a situation. Now, the way that it does work, essentially, is, some, is with net metering and solar. And with solar, if you put in a big solar system, you are actually able to run the meter backwards during the day and buy power back at night when it's cheap, and you can have a negative electric bill. And unfortunately, I've got that situation too because my mother-in-law uses hardly any power at all, and we have a negative electric bill. And unfortunately, we don't get paid by PG&E, but it's just a, a, a good thing for the environment. Now, when you talk about these arbitrage systems combining solar with batteries, it's not only very technically complicated, it's doable, but technically complicated. And when, when I say technically complicated, that's another way of saying it's expensive. So these systems are very technically complicated, and that's another way of saying they can get very, 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 very expensive. But not only are they technically complicated, the rate structures and the, the time at which you're doing this is difficult to figure out and really going to vary by utility to utility, and, and it's also going to vary within a utility as they continue to alter rates. So this is a perfect application for smart software to figure it out once, once rates are out there and once these systems begin to proliferate, and that's going to happen. So we'll, in the future, 
you're going to see more of these energy arbitrage situations where, where people are going to basically have um, their own power plants. Maybe they're not going to make money on it, but they're going to find a way to operate them where they're going to spend the least for electricity. Um, Solar is a good way to start. Battery is going to make that easier. Now, the fourth application, which we haven't seen yet, but it's coming. And the reason why it's coming is because uh, there's so much distributed generation solar. The fourth application is what I call grid support services. And this is where a battery backup system can actually provide um, benefits to the electric grid. This can provide benefits to not only the utility, but to people who are using power. Now, let's back up a little bit. Utilities have two big business problems with rooftop solar. In other words, when homeowners or businesses put solar on the roof, there's two problems that utilities have with that. The one problem is, first of all, they're going to lose a lot of revenue because if customers are generating their own power, their bill to the utility is going to go down. So the utilities don't like to lose money. I can't blame them, but you know, that's, that's kind of life as technology evolves. The second problem, business problem, that utilities have with solar is they get to generate profits based on their total assets. And I think uh, here in California, most utilities are able to generate a profit. And this is a regulated profit of 10 or 11% based on their total net assets. So the more assets they have, the more profit they can generate. And the assets are the electric wires, the transformers, the power plants, everything else that they put in place. So when homeowners or businesses put solar on the roof, there's now generating capacity that doesn't count towards the utility's net assets. And that bums them out because it cuts back on their profits. Now, you'll see how happy utilities are to put solar, these huge utility-scale solar plants in the desert or in unoccupied space. Well, if they put solar in, they don't have these two profits. They get to generate the revenue because they're still selling the power to you. You don't know whether it's being generated from solar or natural gas or nuclear. And they also get to claim, because it's, le it's legitimately their asset, they claim those big power, these big solar power plants as assets. So, is they're, they're kind of talking out of two sides of their mouth. You know, solar's good if we do it, but it's not good if you do it. But that's just kind of the way it is, and, and we're going to continue with this dilemma for a while. Now, the utilities have another problem with their utility network when a lot of people have solar, um, besides the fact that they make less money. And, and this is just, just kind of imagine how this works. Power starts at the power plant, and there's a lot of wires along the way. You can imagine these transmission systems, transformers, et cetera, et cetera. All these wires have resistance in them, and the electric resistance in the wires creates a voltage drop. So if they might start at, let's just say, for example, 130 volts, at a substation where they're trying to send power out to your house where you want, say, 125 volts, if there's a lot of wires in the way or a lot of people using power at once, there's a lot of current through there, there's a lot of resistance, then that voltage may drop down to 110 volts at the end of the line. And that 110 volts may not be enough power. Now, that's kind of typical, but then that'll kind of work out. But they start at 130, it might go down to 110. Now, if a lot of houses in that neighborhood have solar, you actually have power going from the houses back up the lines the other way on a sunny day. And so what ends up happening is the voltage at the edge of the grid, where they might have been expecting 110 volts, now might be up to 120 or 130 volts, which is okay. But by the time it gets back to where it starts at the, at the transmission system, the voltage might be too high. So this is called an over-voltage situation. So power starts at the power plant, and there's a lot of wires along the way, and these wires have resistance. And the way the utility system is designed is power comes from the power plant to, let's say, your home. They start at a relatively high voltage, let's say 130 volts at the start of the local distribution system. And by the time it gets to the last house in the neighborhood, it might be at 110 volts. That's still okay. 
everything's fine. But now when you put solar in, you've got all these local houses, let's say houses in a little cul-de-sac, and I've seen cul-de-sacs with five houses have solar on them. In the afternoon or during the day, all those houses are sending power backwards through the line. So although they may have started at 110 volts at those houses, they might be going at 120 volts. And now by the time you get all the way back to the start of the distribution system, you might have an over-voltage situation. And, and this is something that the utilities say is a problem. I'm going to have to call them out on this. It's never been a problem anywhere in the world. It's never created any hazards. But the utilities are worried about it. So they're blaming solar. And the fact that people are putting in solar and solar's power is going backwards through the grid is a big problem. And I'm going to mention that this is a very easy problem to solve. It's kind of the opposite of a brownout. In a brownout, it's a situation where there's too many people using power. The voltage at the end of the line gets too low, and then appliances start dying, and the lights actually kind of start browning out. Now, this over-voltage or under-voltage situation is really easy to solve. Now, it's not necessarily free, but utilities have equipment that they've always used that can adjust the local voltage. They just don't want to pay to put it in. What they want to do is they'd like to increase the rates to put this equipment in, and they're blaming the problem on too many homeowners and businesses putting in solar. Now, here's what happens. If a lot of homes and businesses have solar, and you have a lot of power at the edge of the grid, and you have batteries at the edge of the grid, and these homeowners and businesses have batteries, what can happen is that instead of sending the power back to the grid, and creating uh, an overvoltage situation, software can regulate that transmission of the power back, and you only send it back when you need it. So it might be that in the middle of the day, you're not sending much power back to the grid, and you're keeping the voltage at a stable, let's say, 125 volts. But in the evening, you start running those batteries backwards, and the batteries are sending power back to the grid and providing these grid support services. And if a cloud goes over the neighborhood in the middle of the day, solar output goes down, the batteries can automatically kick in. So the question is, do the utilities put in control systems and equipment for these local storage system, this grid support stuff, they would love to do it and charge a lot of money for it. Or are businesses and homeowners going to put it in because the the rates are appealing for them to do it? It's really unclear what's going to happen. But what is clear is it's going to be pretty straightforward and we're already starting to see it happen where homes and businesses are going to put in their own battery systems. And if there was an economic reason for the homeowner to kind of support the grid, uh, then they could actually do that with a little bit of software. So I think this is going to happen eventually once there's a business model for utilities to do this and once there's an incentive for the homeowners to say, all right, yeah, we're putting in a battery storage system and we're going to provide some benefits to the grid, but we want to get a little bit of reimbursement for it. The simplest way to do this is to say, all right, well, when, when a homeowner's batteries are actually running backwards and sending power to the grid, they get extra money for that electricity. Maybe they'll get 50 cents a kilowatt hour for that electricity they send back. And also keep in mind that we're all driving around these, these storage systems. We're driving around cars with batteries. If, if those cars are plugged in, it's also not too difficult to imagine a situation where you stop charging your car when there's a low voltage situation on the grid and you actually have the battery in your car sending power back. So these are all things that are going to happen not next year. It's going to take 10 years. But there are all these benefits that are out there for battery systems. So we talked about those four basic types of applications for battery storage and battery storage with solar. We're going to talk about a little bit more of the technical aspects of battery storage. There's really two kinds of battery backup systems. There's what's called AC-coupled systems where you charge your batteries from AC power. And, and this is an option if you already have solar on your roof. You're probably going to want to go with an AC-coupled system and not rewire your entire system. 
The other kind of system is a DC-coupled system, and this is where you're actually charging the batteries directly from solar, and you might have one inverter. It's a lot more complicated, but it's maybe better if you're just looking at getting a system from scratch. In other words, you don't have solar yet, and you can actually get the DC power from the solar and use that to charge the DC batteries. Lots and lots of new developments here. It's almost impossible to keep track of both the announcements and then the technology underneath. It's actually easier to keep track of these things once you see the products in the market, but there's just so few out there now. Now, the final thing I'm going to talk about are issues related to the performance of batteries. And this is really critical and and it's easy to kind of miss but batteries have really three limitations on their ability to to create backup power Um, first is the number of cycles that the battery can go through and i'm talking about cycles that's full discharge and recharge cycles so obviously the more times you can recharge the battery the better old-fashioned batteries like the carbon zinc batteries they were only good for one one charge cycle nickel cadmium batteries nicads if you remember those they might have a few hundred cycles or a thousand but then the the depth of charge would be lousy and they would hardly last very long afterwards Um, and then the lithium ions they typically have the ability to handle a lot more cycles now the other the other side of the coin is the depth of discharge so the more you're able to discharge the battery the better so a lot of times you might see some specifications where somebody has a 10 kilowatt hour battery pack and that sounds great well the size of the battery pack is 10 kilowatt hours but if if it's only allowed to discharge 80 percent and and 80 percent might be typical you're only going to get it only going to get eight kilowatt hours out of that battery now the problem is the deeper you discharge the battery the fewer cycles it can handle. So many of these battery systems are limited to, say, a 20 or 30% discharge rate. And then the final battery metric is the rate of discharge. That's how much power you can get out of the battery at once. So we talked about the batteries, the applications. Some of the companies that are out there that are um, that have products right now are Schneider Electric, Outback Systems. There's a company here in San Jose called Juicebox Energy. And a lot of the hype right now relates to the fact that Tesla has announced a new battery system. And they've got a 10-kilowatt-hour battery. But they're only offering that for backup power. And that's that battery, from what I can tell, is available on a lease through SolarCity. And it pretty much only allows you to cycle it 50 times a year. And it also only has an output of 2 kilowatts. So that's a, you're going to need a critical load subpanel with a very, very limited number of loads on there. So that's one option. And the other option is an off-grid battery. And I think this off-grid battery is actually only being sold by Tesla. Um, SolarCity and other installers aren't selling it because there's no economic case. You really can't use it. This is just basically a replacement for conventional lead-acid batteries. Now, so those are the batteries. Another option is a generator. And, you know, I've been happily running my generator for the last 20 years. 5,000-watt generator. It's pretty good. But I've only used it three times. But when I do need it, it's kind of handy to have. So here's my advice. And it really depends on your application. If you're looking for backup power, I've been recommending to customers for 15 years, get a generator. It's much cheaper. With the critical load subpanel, maybe $1,500. If you want a battery backup system instead, it's going to cost you eight dollars to $12,000 for a system. And it's very cool. It's elegant. If you have a wine cellar, if you want an instant recovery, it's a really good option. If you're off-grid, the traditional off-grid systems are good. If you're interested in doing this energy arbitrage, um, or if you're interested in grid support services, those are future capabilities. So make sure that whatever system you invest in, if that's something that you want to do, really can support that. 
So just to summarize, there's lots of changes with batteries. There's a lot of hype. It's what I call vaporware. We'll know a lot more in a year when these products get out there right now. If you're looking for something that's got an economic benefit where you're really going to save money, we're not there yet except for perhaps backup power. And there's incentives that are going to help with some of these economic cases. And if you're really looking for good economics, as I've always said, solar is the most cost-effective thing. And I can guarantee that all these backup systems that come out in the future are going to be connected with solar. So that's all the time we've got on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for joining us today. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcasts.